My name is James Gleason, and I want to welcome you to the weekend teaching ministry of Sunrise Church here in Hillsboro, Oregon. Now, Sunrise is a church devoted to being a safe place to hear a life-changing message. And our vision is to lead people in a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. And so every weekend, we share a message of hope from God's Word, the Bible. Now, if you'd like to know more about discovering and growing in a relationship with the God who loves you, please take a moment to visit our website at www.isunrise.com. Now, from there, you can learn how to connect with the God who loves you. And you can learn how to grow with others along the journey of life. You can learn to develop a heart to serve the least, the last, and the lost. And finally, you can learn how to lead others to know Jesus Christ on this journey of disciples making disciples. And so now I invite you to follow along with our weekend message as you discover the heartbeat of God. just got home from Alaska and look what was in the mail. Yes, absolutely. My ballot. And from probably you've already filled yours out. You've already taken it down there to a drop box or uh, mailed it off. Good luck off on the mailing thing. Um, but um, boy, this is, this is fascinating. I haven't even opened up ballot enclosed, but it's got my name there and it's got my address and I know what's in here. It is an opportunity for me to participate in the local and the federal decisions of our nation. And I count it an incredible privilege uh, to be a citizen of the United States, to be uh, someone who's voted since they were 18 years old. Uh, I'll, I'll just be frank and tell you, Ronald Reagan was my first vote uh, as a high school student. And, um, I, I'll just, you know, it was just always exciting to be able to walk through that process and think about, you know, what is my part in this? And it's a pretty cool thing to be able to do this. And so I hope you take that as an opportunity uh, seriously. Uh, if you think back to, you know, the Old Testament, they, did, they didn't have that because they were a, a theocracy. We, we live in a democracy. Not everybody today lives in a democracy, uh, but they lived in a theocracy, so they didn't get a vote. Uh, it, you know, God was in charge. You know, God was the one. And, and when they decided to vote against God, it didn't go well. And then in the New Testament times, in the period there, uh, in, the, in Israel and all around the world, the Romans were the conquerors. And it wasn't a theocracy, it was a dictatorship with a Caesar in charge. And so the early followers of Christ, they didn't understand the concept of voting. They wouldn't have known that this is how you participate in some kind of a democracy, because it just didn't exist back then. And there are a lot of believers around the world that live in countries that don't have the privilege that you and I have. So I hope you take it seriously. I hope you're participating in this system, but I hope you're not all wrapped up in the system because frankly, again, even though we live here, even though we move here, uh, even though we are a part of this world and we have citizenship, uh, this really isn't our home. Our home is in heaven and we eagerly await for that day when Jesus comes back. So take this seriously, participate in this, and I hope that uh, you know, it turns out your way. I don't know, half, half of everybody's gonna be disappointed, it always is. I always figure in Oregon, no matter how I vote, it's not gonna matter, um, so, but I vote anyway. You know, the early believers in Jesus, as we've been studying in this passage, this letter called First Peter, 
they're going to be experiencing incredible, incredible persecution. And they are not going to get a vote in how things turn out. In fact, the emperor himself is going to turn against followers of Jesus and is begun again, just going to begin this widespread persecution of followers of Jesus. And so God's spirit in his amazing, beautiful way, he sovereignly plans everything. He had Peter write about the persecution they were experiencing, the suffering they were experiencing then, without even realizing, I'm sure, what was going to happen in the months and years to follow. And so if, if you've been following with this, you know where we're at. If not, we're in 1 Peter. We'll be in chapter 2, starting in verse 11 down to 17 today. But I'd encourage you to check it out online at isunrise.com because those messages are there and they really speak to where we are. And in fact, I think they speak to where we're going to be in the next couple years. And so as followers, I want us to be ready for that. So let's just jump in to 1 Peter, and we're going to jump into chapter 2 here in verse 11 on, and, and I want us to come back to a passage that we've seen a number of times. This is what Peter says. He says, dear friends, I warn you as temporary residents and foreigners. Now, this is something he's called us, and it's really just this idea in the original language of a resident alien. We're not tourists. We're not just visitors. We don't just stop and get the postcards and get the pictures of the Eiffel Tower and go on our way. No, we live here. We have some purpose here. We have some identity here. He says, I warn you as temporary though, this is not our home. We don't belong to this place. I warn you as temporary residents and foreigners to keep away from worldly desires that wage war against your very souls. Be careful to live properly among your unbelieving neighbors. Then even if they accuse you of doing wrong. Now that's what was going on. These believers were living lifestyles that were so radically different that people were starting to accuse them of things. I don't know if you've ever studied church history on this, but there's some fascinating stories that when you think about the practices we have today, it makes sense, right? But um, they had the love feast, the agape feast, the Lord's table. And uh, because it was called the love feast, the non-believers literally thought that we were having sex parties. They were, they were curious as they heard about these love feasts because that's what they were doing. And they thought we were just completely sexually immoral. Uh, and, uh, and then we had this thing called communion where we ate the bread and the, the cup and it was reminiscent of the body and blood of Christ. They thought we were cannibals. They, they called us cannibals because they didn't know what it meant. And then because we didn't have a, a temple, we didn't have an idol, we, we worshiped a God that was invisible, they called us atheists. And so these non-believers did not know what was going on when people became followers of Christ. And so there was a lot of suspicion about us. And so even if they accuse you of doing wrong, they will see your honorable behavior. Note that. They will see the way you live. And they'll know something's right. And they will give honor to God when he judges the world. Now, what, what does the Bible say followers that Jesus are to be about? Well, about the things of Jesus. I mean, how are we supposed to live? Well, as if this world is not the most important thing to us, that we don't put all of our stock in this world, we don't invest everything in this world, but in the people and then the God that we love and serve. And because of that, we're not so tethered to the earth that we can't just do whatever God wants us to do. Peter's saying we're not supposed to be like everybody else in the culture. We're to be radically different and in such a way that one day they will look and they will bring honor to God, which is very reminiscent of what Jesus himself said when he talked about us being salt and being light and that our good works will bring honor to God and people will glorify God because of that. Peter says, you know, when you become a Christian, such a fundamental change takes over your life that you're no longer the same person. 
You can no longer have the same purpose in life. You can no longer enjoy the same passions because you have been changed from the inside out. You're different. An early Roman historian named Suetonius, he wrote about Christians and their behavior. He was not a believer. And he commented that to his mind, the only conclusion was, was that we were a different species. That's all he could say, was that something so radical happened when people became followers of Jesus, Christians, that we became a entirely different species of person because there was no other way to explain such a radical change. I mean, it shaped the way they lived culturally. Uh, they knew they were a chosen race. They knew they were a peculiar people. They knew they were a holy nation. And although they, they lived and moved in this world, they were not from this world anymore. They lived countercultural lives. Now, I don't have these on the screen, and if you want to download these, you can go to our website and you can check the PDF out. But I want to tell you from history 10 ways early followers of Jesus were radically different from the world. And as a result of that, people sometimes viewed us with suspicion, but in many ways began to see us in an honorable light because we were against their culture. But all of a sudden, what we were doing was rising up as far better than their culture. So I wanted to share 10 ways we were countercultural. Number one, early Christians, followers of Jesus, did not go to the bloodthirsty games. They were not interested in pagan entertainment. And now they didn't go to the gladiatorial fests. They, con- they were considered antisocial because they would not revel in bloodshed and violence. Number two, they did not serve in the military. I, I have no disrespect to anybody that served in the military in America. I salute you, uh, and, I, and I appreciate your service and your patriotism. But early Christians did not serve in the military. Why? Because they could not align themselves with Caesar's bloodthirsty desire for more, of a conquering of the barbarians of the world. Early Christians, they, as soon as they became followers of Jesus, they removed themselves from that. Number three, they were against abortion and infanticide. In that day and age, if you had a child and you did not want the child, uh, it was no problem. You just threw the child out. Oftentimes, when this baby was born, if it was not a boy, the father would just do this, and they would take the, the, the child and throw them out on the streets or throw them out of the cliffs. Why? Because girls were not valued in that culture, and only men were the future And so they would destroy the young gals. And then followers of Christ would come along and grab these babies and they would bring them in. Uh, Number five, number four, they empowered women. In that Roman culture, in that Greek culture, women were not valued at all. And it was Jesus, it was Paul, who were the early disciples who lifted up the value of women serving and moving in that community. Even today, half or over half of all people in the average American church, they're ladies. And a lot of churches don't value ladies, but Jesus did, and Paul did, and Peter did. And the early church, they valued because they were different than the culture around them and said, women are made in the image of God. That was a radical statement back then. Number five, they were against sex outside of marriage. That was weird, right? They didn't go and have all the immoral parties, right? They were accused of it, but they didn't do that. Uh, Not only that, they were against same-sex practice, number six. That was weird in that culture. Homosexuality ran rampant, and the early believers were against that because it countered what God had done with creation. Seven, they were absolutely radically for the poor and the marginalized. They went out of their way to grab people that had been discarded by the rest of the culture of the world. They gave to poor the poor in ways Greeks and Romans never did. Uh, eight, they valued all lives, not just those that 
maybe were of a greater party of them, that they, those they wanted to entertain or to be won over by them. But they valued every life. Every life mattered to early believers. Number nine, they mixed races and classes in ways that was scandalous. Jesus himself, he had women in his discipling party that was scandalous. The early church had women in leadership roles that was scandalous. In fact, the Apostle Paul said it this way, that Jew and Gentile got together and they sat in church together. Slave and free met together and they sat there. Male and female, they were all one in Christ. That was radical. And finally, number 10, last of all, most importantly, they said there was only one way of salvation and that was through Jesus Christ, the way, the truth, and the life. You see, the Greeks and Romans, they had their pantheon of gods. They had temples everywhere. And they had so many gods and goddesses. You just go pick and choose which one. And they stood there and they said, all of those are false. All of those ways that you're attempting to find your identity, your purpose, your very existence, your hope for some eternal, it's all false. But Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And in those 10 ways, they were radically countercultural. Now, no one had ever seen a group of people that lived that way, that thought that way, that held those practices. The Greeks didn't, the Romans didn't, the Jews didn't. So the believers were aliens. They were strangers. They were foreigners. But they didn't withdraw, and they didn't isolate from the world around them. They were strangely attractive in their joy, even in the midst of persecution. They impacted society with this newfound faith in Jesus, and the world was won over by that. Now think about it with me. If you had a group of people that rejected the bloodthirsty sports, if that rejected militarism, that rejected the idea of devaluing women, in fact, actually empowered women, that reveled in the combination of races and classes, and that radically served the poor, what would you say about them? You'd say they're a bunch of stinking liberal Democrats, right? That's what you would say. On the other hand, if you said, well, we forbid abortion, we forbid sex outside of marriage, same-sex practices. We insist that there's only one way to God. What would you say about them? They're a bunch of conservative Republicans, right? Well, see, it's always been the way of the followers of Jesus to walk between the two parties. Today, we have two parties, unfortunately. We have the Democrats and the Republicans. We have the left and the right. We have the liberals and the conservatives. And the reality is, is that we walk between those because there are some powerful powerful beliefs of the Democrats that line up with the way of Jesus. And there are some powerful, powerful beliefs of the Republicans that line up with the way with Jesus. But no one party reflects the life of Christ. Echoing Jesus' words in the Sermon on the Mount, you know, we are to live in such a way that the light of God shines on us and through us, that the saltiness of the earth impacts our culture and people are changed because of it. Peter says, in doing so, we will be accused of wrong motives, of wrongdoing. And so how do you respond? Be gentle, be gracious, expect it. You're a follower of Jesus. Expect your witness to be seen with suspicion. Now, Peter goes on to say, for the Lord's sake, submit to all human authority, whether the king is head of state or the officials he has appointed. For the king has sent them to punish those who do wrong and to honor those who do right. For the Lord's sake, he says, as followers of Jesus, we are to submit to the human authority. In fact, I highlighted this word submit, and I put, uh, there are two 
ways it was used definition-wise. One in the military sense, to arrange under the command of a leader. And so it's a specific Greek word that means to line, to, to you yourself submit. You line yourself up under your authority, under your leader, because you would do that in the military. And then secondly, in a more of a non-militaristic way, it was a voluntary attitude of cooperating, assuming responsibility and carrying a burden. And so you would still line yourself up under the authority and you would submit to the authority because the authority then would then give you what the marching orders were or the purpose or whatever it might be. And you would voluntarily submit to those things. And so for the Lord's sake, Peter says, for God's sake, we are to submit to all human authority. Peter does not say, and there's no little caveat there in the Greek language, that we submit if it lines up with what we want, if we agree with all the rules, if it goes our way. No. The only exemption we're given as followers of Jesus would be one of two. is one if we're commanded to break the law, the law of God or the law of man. And number two, basically out of that, is, is if we're told not to preach about Jesus. And so as long as we're not told to break the law, God's law or mankind's law, and if we're not told to stop preaching about Jesus, then everything else we're told to submit. We are told to submit to that. It is the Lord's will that we submit. And then he goes on to say this. He says, it is God's will that you should live honorable lives. And your honorable lives should silence those ignorant people who make foolish accusations against you. For you are free, yet you are God's slave. We're going to pick that up next week. You are God's slave. So don't use your freedom as an excuse to do evil. Respect everyone and love the family of believers. Fear God and respect the king. Now let me break that down. As representatives of God on the earth, it's important, it's vitally important that we respect the office of those above us. Even though sometimes it's really hard to respect the person. I get that, I understand that. We may not like the person, he or she, whoever's in authority over us. We may disagree with that person, but we are told to respect that person and respect means literally that, to show them the honor that is due, the position that they've been given. And when we respect people that way, we're actually respecting God because God has put the authority over us. And as much as possible, we would obey the local laws, national government, the things that are put upon us. We're to do so, and we may not always do it willingly or do it joyfully. We're to do it because we're doing it as a way to respect God. Now, of course, we must never, ever, ever allow mankind's laws to violate the practice of God's laws. There's no question about that, my friends. You know, every time we have sought to build out a portion of this building, we've been in this building since December, uh, well, we moved in in December of seven, and we started working on it at the beginning of that year. Every time we've built out a part of this building, we have submitted ourselves to the local laws as it relates to all aspects of the building. I mean, we go to Hillsborough, we go to Washington County, we go and we get permits and we get, we get designs approved. We, our conditional use has been given to us by our local authority. Now, the government has no right to have a say in or to control what I preach from this platform, but it has every right to define the building that I'm preaching in right now. That is how it works in every, every instance, every time we've sought to build it out. They may not care about the paint color, but they definitely care about the outlets and that they've been code checked, right? <laughs> because it's a safety issue. 
I mean, the layers and layers and layers of authority that we have to go through when we do a building project. Sometimes it's just mind-numbing. And the amount of time it takes to get permission and then approval of those things, it's unbelievable. And the amount of dollars we have sunk in just for permission to do things is just unbelievable. But you know, we've done that because that's what's required of us. And we do it willingly. And we do it respectfully. And we do it honorably. Why? Because that's what we're called to do. We have fire sprinklers. They have to be checked every year. We have fire suppression system in the entire building. It has to be examined every year. You know that the fire code and the fire marshal has already written how many people we can have in each room. They've already determined the maximum occupancy of rooms. The number of bathrooms. We have so many bathrooms around here, it's crazy. Whenever I take people through, they're like, you got a lot of bathrooms. Yeah, well, they keep adding the need for more bathrooms. Thankfully, we're done building, so we don't have to build more bathrooms, right? Because bathrooms are expensive. The number of exits, the egress, the pathway. Our government determines all those things, and we do it willingly. Why? Because this is what every other business does. This is what every other church does. This is what every other home does. And we follow accordingly. Now, the government is not persecuting us. It feels like it sometimes, right? But it's not persecuting us when we obey the codes. And the church is not compromising when it obeys the codes. In a building project, we submit ourselves again and again. I was talking to a friend this week, and uh, he, he was commenting you know, that Sunrise Church has always been about danger. Sunrise Church has always been about adventure. And you've heard me say it, you know, many, many times. You know, we want to we wanna do radical things for Jesus. But the conclusion of this person was, so why aren't we living dangerous and just opening up the doors? I'm like, okay, that's not living dangerous. That's living illegally. Because there are laws that have been placed above us. And there have been commands that I do not like from our governor. But we will obey those until we can appeal to authority and until we can find ways to press against that legally, justifiably, I want to put my head down at night and know that I've honored Jesus Christ in the way I've interacted with leaders. Peter commands us to respect our leaders. And in that day, it was a king, literally an emperor. We don't have a king. We don't have an emperor. We have presidents and mayors and governors and everything. But nowhere in the scripture do you see Jesus or Paul or Peter ever criticize the suppressive, violent, ugly Roman government or suggest that it be overthrown and that we would just do whatever we want to do. We're never told to take up arms to create a world that meets God's standards. But God's standard is for us to submit to leaders, even secular leaders. We're to submit ourselves to the authority that God has placed over us because first of all, we've submitted ourselves to God. And we are to use our freedom as a tool to build with and not as a weapon to fight against. We won't always agree with politics or practices, but we must respect the position of the person above us. We must have discernment in our relationship to human government. There are times when it's right to set aside our own privileges, and there are times when we need to pull on our citizenship as the right thing to do. I think about Paul. He was willing to suffer in the, the town of Philippi. I stood there years ago, a year and a half ago now, and I stood in the magistrate's area where Paul was beaten and suffered. But he didn't complain. He just worshiped God. 
But then the next morning, he was <laughs> unwilling to be pushed out of town in silence, right? He stood there and said, no, I'm a Roman citizen. I'm going to pull my citizenship card because what you did was unjust. So it's this combination of two. But most importantly, Peter says, fear God and respect the king, the mayor, the governor. Respect the president, whether you like that person or not. I want to take you back to Philippians 3.20. And it's something we looked at when we began this series. And it's a simple idea for you and for me. As followers of Jesus, we are citizens of heaven. And the idea there in the wording is that we are a colony of heaven on earth. We are like a colony of believers here on the earth waiting for the Lord to come back. We are eagerly waiting for him to return as Savior. Paul's writing to Romans, uh, to Philippians who live in a colony. He's in prison because of following Jesus and preaching Jesus and writing about Jesus. And he says here that you are to think of yourselves as a colony of heaven on the earth. We are citizens of heaven. As, as believers, these Philippians, they knew what it was like to be a Roman citizen, even though many of them had probably never even been to Rome before, right? But they knew what it was like to have the right of being a citizen of Rome. And whether they would ever see it or not, maybe not in their lifetime, maybe their kids would, that wasn't important, but there was a glory of Rome that they had heard about and people spoke about. And so they, they with pride, knew they were Roman citizens. And Paul says, but more than that, you're citizens of heaven. And the reason to be proud of your citizenship is because you have a king and his name is Jesus. And when you believe in Jesus, your citizenship of Rome is now overshadowed with the citizenship of heaven. And as believers, we are no longer be thinking about this city that we live in only, but about the city that is to come where Jesus is king. As followers of Jesus in Philippi, undoubtedly they've been proud of their Roman citizenship, but they were to never allow their Roman citizenship to be more important than their heavenly citizenship. They were to think of themselves as resident aliens, as joyful exiles, living temporarily in a foreign country with their home elsewhere. There was no longer a reason to hope in an emperor because you had Jesus. You no longer think about your capital of Rome because you have heaven. You're no longer expected to promote the, the whole journey of a Roman citizenship. You're to promote the journey of following Jesus Christ. Now, I get this. Um, my license plate says that I, I live and dwell in Oregon. And that, that means something. I, I, I love this state, right? This has been my home since 1983. Um, I'm an Oregon citizen. I have a passport. I flew to Alaska, and I always take my passport whenever I fly anywhere on an airplane just to be sure. And, and I, I love the fact that it shows me that I'm a citizen of the United States. I was born here. And even though I live here and even though I drive here, um, I will fail to make an impact for Jesus Christ here if I forget that I do not belong here. I belong there in heaven with Jesus. We are to set our, our sights on things above, our hearts on things above where Jesus is. Uh, I want to close with this thought. I wrote it down. I want to read it to you. In just over a week, we're going to elect a new president. It'll either be Trump or it'll either be Biden. That's, that's all, that, those are the only two people we've seen in the debates, right? If you want to call those debates, okay. It's either going to be a Republican or it's either going to be a Democrat. So why would I be so concerned about it, right? 
Why would I be so frustrated about one way or the other? This up- upcoming election, my friends, should not be your main priority. It should not occupy all your thoughts and all your conversations. But how you conduct yourself in this time should be about Jesus. The values that are going on all around us are not to be forming us. They should be informing us of how to live. We are to be the countercultural world of people in this world. I'm not saying that we don't have opinions and, and, and values that we hold dearly, absolutely. And we should vote accordingly, absolutely, with strong conviction on those things. But friends, if you're full of hatred, if you're full of animosity against a political party or a person running for office, you are out of line with the way of Jesus because you have focused more on this earth than on heaven that we're waiting for. Be passionate, absolutely, but don't forget who you really belong to, and that is Jesus. We are to be neither full right or full left. We're to be walking in the center with Jesus. I, I, I gotta tell you, I don't think we should either be a Republican or a Democrat. We're to be in the party of Jesus. Christians, which is what that means, followers of Jesus. So don't let your political opinions push people away from the Jesus in you because that would mean you've set yourself up with an idol and that has to be crushed and destroyed. Politics, my friends, are a false savior. One of the key qualities that's lacking in the world today and I think lacking in the church today is discretion. Too many evangelical Christians are putting their eggs in the Republican right-wing platform and her politicians But whenever you align yourself with any political party, you're gonna find yourself in deep trouble because Jesus is bigger than that party. And that party will co-opt you and potentially Jesus for its own use. There are certain practices and the commands in the life of Jesus that show up in both Republicans and Democrats, okay? Don't disparage the other side and destroy them. The fact is, though, is that we're to align ourselves with Jesus and he's not interested in politics and a political party. He is interested in you and me submitting ourselves to him, laying down our lives so other people can find the way, the truth, and the life through him. And if we become so obnoxious because of our beliefs, we are shutting off the road that could lead other people to salvation. So vote your conscience, vote with passion. You can argue vehemently about positions, that's awesome. When all is said and done, line up with Jesus. He is above all political parties. And so this season, I'm casting my vote for President of the United States, for Jesus himself. Let's pray. Father, it is a challenging world in which we live. So much anger and frustration, politics, COVID, all of the realities that none of us are prepared for. And the anxiety of this age and the anger of this age has caused many followers of Jesus to lose their testimony because they have lined up with politics versus Christ. So cause us, Father, to repent of that idol and to come once again, not to identify ourselves politically with the party, but to identify ourselves with our Savior, Jesus Christ, and to be passionate about the things we're passionate about, and to vote according to our values, absolutely. But then to put that aside and leave it at the polling booth and come back and open up your Bible 
and pray and open up our heart to people all around us that are far from you and open up our mouth to speak the words of truth and the eyes to see people who need Jesus. Father, use us even this week amidst what's going to be absolute chaos for the next two weeks to be a peaceful person in a very unpeaceful world. We pray that we would do that in Christ's name. Amen.